Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 11 of our Yes, I'm a Closer podcast. My name is Dominic Caminata, co-owner and founder of Gross University. We have an amazing show in store for all you business owners and leaders who are tuning into the show, and we appreciate everyone taking time of their day to invest in their future. We got an exceptional guest that is an expert and a mastermind for the last three decades on the topic of business development and, most importantly, business leadership. And there's something that we take to heart here. Um, you know, one of the things we take pride in at Grass University, being myself and Nick Richmond, is along with doing consulting and working with companies all over the country, we are active in the business, running our own successful retail operations. So Nick Richmond, my equal partner here at Grass University, is the president of Matrix Home Solutions, which is a $60 million home improvement company. And I myself, along with running Grass University, and the co-owner of a roof rejuvenation company called Magic Rejuvenating Technologies. And what does this all mean? Why is this all relevant to today's podcast? Every single day, we're trying to crack the code on, obviously, running successful businesses, but being more effective leaders for our team. And I feel this is a topic you literally cannot educate yourself enough on. That's why I'm especially excited about today's guest. He's an absolute legend in the business and leadership realm and has really dedicated his entire life on this subject. And his resume would be too long to discuss here in today's podcast, but just to highlight a, a few things that are uh, obviously exciting to talk about, he's the president and founder of the Extreme Leadership Incorporated and also the Extreme Leadership Institute. And he's also the best-selling author of several books on the subject of leadership and business development, including but not limited to one of his latest and greatest, Love is Just Damn Good Business, uh, just the title alone had me sold. And then, of course, the content inside of it, of course, is even better. And, of course, uh, one of his other books based on leadership, Fast Company Magazine actually labeled one of the top 100 biz best business books in history of all time, and that's called The Radical Leap. Uh, so, of course, at the end of the podcast, we'll talk more about how you can get access to these books and other things that he's accomplished. But with that in mind, we're pleased to welcome to the show the business and leadership legend, Mr. Steve Farber. So, Steve, I appreciate you being on the podcast today. How's it going? Thank you, Dominic. It's great to be here with you. Virtually, but, <laughs> yeah, you know, virtually. here with you in a manner of speaking. Yeah, I mean, this is something that uh, obviously we're all getting a little bit more accustomed to. Uh, you know, it's crazy. I don't know about you personally, but at the beginning of the pandemic last year, about a year ago, I didn't even know how to use Zoom at all. And now it's like my entire business and my entire life is relying on Zoom. So I don't know if that was your experience, but uh, it's crazy the evolution of absolutely. Yeah, how many times a day do you find yourself saying uh, you're you're on mute? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I said, as long as we don't left this, I haven't left this chair in twelve months. Yeah. In fact, I haven't I haven't put on a pair of pants in twelve months. That's that's my uh, life. Have you ever made that mistake where you accidentally stand up in the middle of a Zoom meeting where people see your lower half? Is that it's not that bad. I mean, I'm wearing my workout shorts, you know, but uh, I'll put on a nice blazer like what you're wearing, you know, and if I'm you know, doing a gig for a client and make myself look really nice from the waist up. And then, you know, I'm in San Diego, right? So there is no need for me to put on any kind of long pants, even when I'm, you know, going outside walking around. Uh, but yes, I spend I spend a good portion of my life on Zoom and related platforms. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I when the pandemic first hit and obviously all the office stuff shut down, I was doing most of my virtual consultations from home. And it just so happened that the only space I had to set up my, my virtual studio, so to speak, was right by my bar in my man cave. 
Uh, so admittedly, occasionally I'd be doing a Zoom meeting with my coffee cup, quote unquote. I'd be sipping on, you know, whatever, whatever is going on at the time. For the record, I have actual, I have actual coffee in this cup, just, okay. just so you know. <laughs> All right. I'll take your word. Uh, so kind of diving right in here, Steve. Obviously, we got a lot to talk about. And again, uh, it really, it's an honor to speak to you. I've been doing a lot of research on some of your achievements, of course, in the business and leadership world. And of course, uh, diving into this book here, uh, amazing stuff. And it's one of those things where I didn't realize how much I believed in the stuff that you were talking about, because it's the stuff that, that I try to instill when I'm doing my own training consulting for management, but you take it to a whole different level. But kind of going back, you know, when did you first decide that, you know, business and leadership was going to be my mission in life? And obviously you have a true passion for it. I guess when did you first decide that this was going to be your future, that you're going to pursue this as, a, of course, a consultant and keynote speaker? Yeah, well, you know, it's been it's been a long process. I've been at this now in some form or another for uh, 30, 30 years, just over 30 years. Um. And it wasn't like there was one particular moment where I said, leadership is the thing. It's more like I had a business background. So I was also a business owner. I mean, I've been a business owner for most of my, uh, most of my uh, adult life. But in the very beginning, I was actually in the financial services industry, which is a polite way of saying I was in the commodities futures business. And, and I got into it because I, was, um, I needed to make money. I didn't have a passion for it. I just needed to make money. I, I started everything pretty young. So I'm, I'm now 63 years old. I, before I was 30 years old, I had three kids. So I had to feed a family um, and I was also a musician. And what I discovered uh, way back then is that those two things, playing music for a living and feeding people uh, were mutually exclusive <laughs> ideas. So I gave up the music and I went into business and to make money. And it happened to be in the commodities futures business because I had a friend who was in it and gave me a job. Well, that's where I discovered I was an entrepreneur because within a few years I had my own shop. Wow. So, so I had, you know, my own small brokerage firm, I was doing my thing and, you know, my own boss, the American dream, wife, kids, station wagon back then, uh, you know, the whole thing. And uh, if anybody remembers what a station wagon is, and I, uh, uh, the only problem with that whole scenario was that I just freaking hated it. I hated that, that business. I hated that industry. It wasn't for me. And I got out. So I, I didn't know what I was going to get into, but I got out of that because, because it was killing me. And I think it literally was killing me. I can't prove that now, but uh, if I hadn't, you know, have gotten out of it, I don't know what the consequences would have been. But what I did have was a love for business, not that particular business, but business. And I also had a lot of experience working with people, leading, and also, you know, from the front of the room as a musician and an actor, which I did a little bit of in college and that kind of a thing. So I put all that together and I started doing workshops for companies because it was just a natural, you know, combination of my talents. And over the years, and this was back in 1988, where I first started doing that. And over the years, um, because of the path my career took, I focused more and more on leadership. And I came to understand from experience that, that the quality of a company's leadership, whether it's a small business or a Fortune 100 company, 
the quality of that business is directly tied into the quality of its leadership. The success of that business is going to depend on the quality of its leadership. And it's true for those of us who are running small ventures and those of us who are running, you know, massive, you know, multi global organizations, not multi global, multinational. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so that's, you know, it was just kind of a natural evolution. By the way, just so you can see there, Dominic, I am short answer challenged. So, uh, no, that's okay. I mean, it's all stuff that I definitely am excited to learn more about. And obviously, you know, the, the real big headline of this podcast is extreme leadership. And I really like how you define this. And it clearly is something you put a lot of thought into, of course, <laughs> dedicated a lot of years to. But you define extreme leadership as a wholehearted commitment to making things better, often at the risk of failure and sacrifice. Now, you know, a lot of leaders, I'm guessing those who are watching this podcast, don't often think of sacrifice and that level of intensity when they think about being an effective leader. This is kind of something they just jump into. But if you don't mind, if you could elaborate, you know, obviously what extreme leadership means to you and obviously dive into this definition, essentially uh, how we can translate that. Where that came from was was a deep frustration with working with a lot of leaders in in companies because you know I've worked with just about every kind of company you can imagine. And because of that, I've seen great leaders in those companies and I've seen terrible leaders. But what is more true or what is more common, uh, those are the two ends of the spectrum, really tremendous leaders and really terrible leaders. Most leadership falls into the category of what I would um, affectionately refer to as the poser. Okay. So these are people who call themselves leaders. They slap the title on themselves or they were given the title by somebody. Right. And now they just, it says it on their business card and it says it on the org chart and, and they're a leader of a team or the leader of a company just because we're in a position of, of authority. And I got frustrated with this this reality that that it's very easy to call oneself a leader, but but actually leading is a whole different thing. And if you look at what leaders do, what leaders really do, not what they call themselves, but what they really do, it is extreme. Leadership by its nature is an extreme act because it's about the act of transformation in some way or another. It's about going places or taking people places we've never been before. It's about stretching and growing our own skills and capabilities as human beings. It's about taking nothing and turning it into something, taking something good and turning it into something extraordinary. This is already extreme stuff. And when you put yourself out there to transform, whether it's transform your business or transform your life or transform the world for that matter, you are taking a risk. And by definition, when you're taking a risk, there is a chance of failure. Otherwise, it's not a risk, yeah. right? So by its nature, leadership is a risky endeavor, and therefore, it is an extreme endeavor. And therefore, if we're going to really step into that leadership world and not just call ourselves leaders, but actually engage in the act, we have to be willing to take a risk and sacrifice for what it is that we're trying to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in our industry, the the common mistake a lot of companies make is let's say they have this top all-star salesperson, multi-million dollar producer, consistently at the top of the leaderboard. They take that person and then they put them in a leadership role. 
which occasionally can work, right? If they're systematic and they care about others, they have, you know, more of that selfless need to help and grow other people in their company. But a lot of times that, at least from our experience, we find that that backfires because the best players aren't always the best coaches, right? <laughs> the reason why they're the best players is because they're, they're the workhorses. They got their blinders on. They care about themselves, kind of like the me, Inc. mentality. And uh, a lot of times they end up being horrible leaders because they, they are demanders, not commanders. They talk down to their team. Uh, they get on a power trip and it ends up being a complete disaster. And uh, you threw out some numbers in one of your videos I was watching that were pretty alarming. Uh, you had mentioned that as much as 73% of employees essentially are disengaged uh, with the company that they work with. The level of disengagement uh, in employees right now as an effect of bad leadership is up to over 73%. And that's up from 10%, I think you said, as little as 10, 20 years ago. <laughs> so it's just like a, an epidemic of poor leadership. So I guess, what do you think is the common mistake pe- owners are making or you know, where's this bad leadership really stemming from? Yeah. So just to, just to one little correction on there, it's not up from 10%. It was, it's always been around 73%. Oh, okay. So, so what's happened, what's happened is ever since we started and was Gallup, I think that first started looking at engagement numbers ever since they've, they've been measuring those things. And it's been a couple of decades now, the numbers Mm -hmm. been around that in that, that 70% tile of people who say they're disengaged at work. But in the meantime, we put in literally trillions of dollars into leadership development and related things. So we're not moving the needle at all. The level of disengagement, basically, when somebody's disengaged, they're they're not bringing themselves to work. They're not they're not invested in it. They're not committed to it. And the whole um, magic of great leadership or what I call, as you know, extreme leadership is that it engenders commitment in people. So back to your example of the the great salesperson who is so good at job A sales that they're given job B, which is leading people who do job A. And and the expectation is, well, if you're good at that, you must be good at this. And it's it is it is not a necessarily a transferable skill right um or it inquire i should say requires a different a different set of skills so the the idea here is that we need to take this leadership thing personally and as the as the owner of a company for example um my i'm going to tell you uh, and I'll, i'll try to be polite about this just because you're the owner of your company does not automatically make you a leader. I'm sorry to say. And I've met I've met plenty of people over the years who who have the position or title of CEO or owner um, who uh, have uh, a bit of work to do as far as their leadership goes. But the other side of that equation is leadership fundamentally has nothing to do with your position or title. So if you're not the owner of your company let's say you're not even your sales your salesperson and nobody reports to you you're part of the team you're out there on the front line doing the work that doesn't preclude you from being a great leader uh we've all known people who have no positional authority whatsoever who are phenomenal leaders so the higher up you go in in a company the greater the expectation 
from others is that you will lead. So if I take this personally as, as um, uh, a committed member of the team, or let, let's, let's talk about the owner for a second. If I take this personally as an owner, what I should be trying to do is understand what leadership should look like in terms of the way that I operate, the example that I set, the expectations that I have of the people that work for me, and try to create a culture that engenders other leaders. So if yeah. I can have an entire company of people who understand what leadership is and lead in their own way and in their own spheres, that is an unbeatable proposition. Yeah, and this is kind of why when I was learning about a lot of the stuff that you preach and the stuff that you write about, it was just kind of eye-opening to me because this is a lot of stuff that I always try to instill in my sales team. So I would do annual reviews, of course, with salespeople, but we were doing constant goal setting. And one question that salespeople would always ask me, and they still do to this day, is, you know, Dominic, what's the best piece of advice you can give me to be the best salesperson I can be? And I always have the exact same answer. So I always say, you need to be a mentor, a leader, and a coach to everybody else. Don't be afraid to take that struggling salesperson under your wing. Give them, give them advice. Do a coaching session. Take them aside. Do some role playing. Do things that you aren't necessarily asked to do because once we get this open book culture established where everyone's willing to help each other out, you're going to have those days where you need somebody to help you or that, that little pick-me-up. But getting the whole team to believe in that, and we, we always say this old Italian saying here at Grasso, the, the fish stinks from the head down. Uh, so it's kind of the thing where if the leadership at the top has stinking thinking and they don't lead the, the right way, that trickles down through their entire organization. But also what I preach to the salespeople is obviously when you are giving advice and you're coaching others, what does that do to your confidence level? You know, what does that do to your sense of fulfillment in life? You know, sales can be a very lonely job. Owning a business can be a lonely job if you let it, right? So again, instilling that open book culture where everyone's willing to help each other grow, everyone's willing to work together, that teamwork makes the dream work philosophy. Uh, but that's something that, you know, it really stuck out to me. And I really love the title of this book here too. Oh, go ahead. The, my third book is called Greater Than Yourself. Yeah. And that is what you just described there is, is, the, is the premise of the book. And, and it came from an observation uh, that I've made, which will support what you're teaching your team. And that is that the greatest leaders that I've met in my now three decades of doing this work never call attention to their own greatness. They never shine the spotlight on themselves. In fact, the greatest leaders are the ones who focus on making others greater than themselves. Yeah. So it's, they are mentors, they are coaches, they're, they're cheer, not only are they, are they cheerleaders, but they're, they will go out of their way to, to make others even more successful than they are. And what, I mean, what could make more sense than that? If you're running a sales team, don't you want your salespeople to be even better salespeople than you are? And, and to, and to, to encourage them to take care of and invest in each other and help each other because that way, you know, they're gonna, every, every individual is gonna grow as a result of that. And the team gets, gets stronger as well. And that really, if you, if you break that down, what does that require? What does that approach require? It's an act of the heart. In order for me to really invest myself in you with the expressed intent of raising you up above myself, I have, I have to love you. 
I have to, I have to want what's best for you. And if you can cultivate that, you've got everything. Yeah, that's a perfect segue into this topic here. The title of your book, of course, your most recent one, Love is Just Damn Good Business. You know, I guarantee if we were to pull all the, the listeners watching this right now and ask them if love comes to mind when they think of being an effective business owner or leader, I venture to guess that's not the very first thought that comes to mind. Um, but listening to you speak and the way you explain it, it makes all the sense in the world. But I guess kind of enlightening our, our viewers on this, I guess, why do you feel that love is just damn good business and why? And again, that's not an on off switch by any means. It's, it's obviously you said a discipline more than anything. Yes. But how does that trickle down through your organization, even to your clientele to, of course, transform your business? Sure. Uh, yeah. So let's start with that. Love is not in, in this context. Um, I don't mean it as a as a you know soft, fluffy sentiment. Yeah, you said like everyone's hugging each other, giving each other kisses <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've got nothing against that, but that's not that's not what this is about. It's not about group hugs in the hallway. Um, it's it's about setting a standard that produces a quality of work that our customers or clients, whatever terminology you use, are going to love. If your customers don't love the experience of working with you, whether you're a roofer or remodeler or whatever it is that you do, if they don't love that experience, you are losing the game. Yeah. And if you're in a transactional mindset that says, well, you know, it doesn't matter because they paid us and we're getting the project done. And, and you know, as long as we deliver within, you know, some semblance of a budget and somewhere near the near the deadline and they don't hate us when we're done then mission accomplished because we got our money that is that is that's not going to get us anywhere because you know if and the other you know related to that is if if you think you've won the game when after a project your client says to you well that was that was pretty good you guys are all right yeah thank you that was that was that was okay that's not a victory because there's a lot of places I can go to be just okay. There are a lot of places I can go that'll give me, yeah, pretty good. But yeah. when your customers love you, when they come out of that experience saying, you guys were incredible, you anticipated needs that I didn't even know I had, you, you, you were compassionate with me, you were, you were transparent. When you were behind schedule, you told me, you, know, you didn't lie to me. You, you took care of me, you know, and, and I, I love doing business with you. And that's the word that they will use. Yeah. They may not be consciously aware that they're using that word, but we use, we use that word all the time, don't we? I, I guarantee you, for those of you listening to this conversation right now, you're going to start hearing that word everywhere because of this conversation that we're having. So my point is that this is why I called the book, Love is Just Damn Good Business, because Love is just damn good business. And it starts with that. Create an experience, product, service, combination of the two that your customers are going to love. Now, that should be inarguable. And if, if, you, if you as a business owner find yourself, or as a business person, find yourself resistant to that idea, I don't know what I can do for you, honestly. Right. But well, let's, just, yeah. let's assume for a moment that you get it. As, as most business people do. Yeah, okay, I understand that. 
then what do we do? How do we, how do we get there? And this is where it becomes really important and really challenging. We have to break it down. So here it is in a nutshell. We want our customers to love what we do for them. The only way to really make that happen in a meaningful and sustainable way over time is to create an environment, a team, a culture that people love working in. And I can't create or contribute to that kind of culture as a leader unless I love it, the business, my employees, my customers, myself first. So it all gets very personal very quickly. Like I said earlier, this is a personal thing. But where it shows up and where it gets measured is in the bottom line. This will lead to money, prosperity, growth, success, however you define it. It's always uh, crazy to me how much your team will emulate the things that you do as a leader, even outside of the, the workplace. Um, I've actually done three bodybuilding competitions, which I did after I, I gained sympathy weight with our children. <laughs> I gained all kinds of sympathy weight. I, I got to get back in shape. So anyway, um, I noticed that as I was training for these competitions, and I had like 55 salespeople that I was managing at the time, as, a, as they could see me being more strict with my diet, being more strict with obviously my consumption of alcohol or whatever it is and losing weight and they could see the physical development, I'd all of a sudden see like 60% of my team would come in. They'd be looking in better shape. Their diets are improved. They have more energy, more stamina. It's crazy. Just me emulating that whole concept of taking care of yourself physically. All of a sudden the team is responding to that as well. Um, but it, it's amazing that, you know, when you talk about in, inside yourself, loving yourself and what you do and your culture, how that trickles down, eventually getting to your, your customers and your clients. One story you shared that I really loved in one of your, your keynote speeches, you're talking about that banker where, or that bank teller where people would come in, even if they had no banking business to do at all, because they loved the customer service, they loved how they were treated there because that bank teller loved the business and that transferred over, they would just come in just to talk. And that, that is a super good example of the power of, you know, doing that within your, in your business. Yeah, what you're gonna find in, in that book is a, lo- a lot of examples uh, like that. Um, because the, the whole idea here is, first of all, the example that you're talking about, the example that a leader sets, um, is is so critical and what i'd like everybody to understand is that the minute you step into a leadership role people watch everything you do so dominic they were watching you before you were training for the bodybuilding competition yeah it wasn't like all of a sudden they said well he's training for a competition let's see what he's eating and what he's doing and they're already watching you because that's what we do we watch people in leadership positions like a hawk so understand that you're living under a microscope. And when I say people watch everything you do, I'm not exaggerating. They watch everything you do. They watch your body language and facial expressions, of course, but they also watch the way you spend your time, the way you talk to people, the way you allocate resources. They watch the kind of behavior that you encourage and the kind of behavior that you uh, discourage. They watch, um, they watch, for example, how you interact with customers. They watch all of the above, and at the same time, they compare those things that they see to what they hear you say. Yeah. Because if if you say, for example, that you know the customers should be the center of our universe, and then every chance you get, 
you're bitching and moaning about your customers behind the scenes, what does that really say? So they're, they're, we're being watched, which means the good news in that, the bad news in that is none of us is perfect, right? So we're all going to screw up. The good news is that we are our own best raw material. So the challenge is about holding ourselves accountable to our own words yeah. and, and to strive to be the walking, talking, living, breathing example of whatever it is that we're asking other people to do. So example is important. And, and, so, and that is why I give example after example after example of people who are putting these ideas into practice, because that's the key. It's not about understanding it. It's not about saying, well, yeah, sure. I loving love is love is good, man. You know, so I just, I just have, I just carry that warm feeling in my heart and everything will fall into place. It's a lovely thing to carry that warm feeling in your heart. Don't get me wrong. But the question is, what should love look like in the way that we do business? That's the question that all of us has to answer. And we can be really creative with that answer. So the bank teller, you know, for her, she just takes a natural, her name was Rosella, as a matter of fact, Rosella the teller. I like to say, uh, and you know, she, she told me that people will, she just loves her customers. That's what she told me. And she said that people will stop in just to say hello when they're walking by the bank, because that's the kind of relationship she has with them. And, but she feels that way because sure, that's a natural part of who she is, but she also told me how much she loved working at that bank, that people there took care of each other. And there was a kind of that, that family sort of a feel. So it's all related how you know my experience in working here is going to affect my the experience that I give to my customers. Yeah, the other story that uh, I loved that you said, I love the story, <laughs> is uh, the pizza delivery guy that obviously loved his customers and went the extra mile. Um, I don't know if, if you don't mind, if you could share a little just a synopsis on that. But that was pretty remarkable, honestly, to, to hear that story. Yeah, his name is Joe Jeros. Yeah. And he started out as a pizza delivery guy um, years ago he, uh, for Marco's Pizza. Mm -hmm. And he, um, you know, he was just your basic pizza delivery guy. Uh, wasn't like, you know, uh, Albert Einstein on wheels. He was just a, just a guy. Mm -hmm. But what, what distinguished him from anybody else who was delivering pizzas at that time in that place was how much he loved his customers. Mm -hmm. and what he would do to show it. So for example, he would, he would change the light bulbs when he noticed that, that a customer's bulb was burned out on their porch, which apparently is a fairly common occurrence. Yeah. <laughs> so he just changed the light bulb and then delivered the pizza. Mm -hmm. uh, he would shovel the walk after a snowstorm uh, and, and what, you know, that kind of a thing. So he started to get a reputation there mm -hmm. and people would call that Marco's store and they'd order a pizza and they'd also order Joe. Yeah. They'd asked for Joe to deliver their pizza, which caught the attention of the owner. It's a franchise operation, right? So the franchisee that owned that store saw what Joe was doing and made Joe a partner in the store. And now I'll fast forward a few years later. Joe now owns, uh, I believe it's eight Marcos stores. <laughs> and, he's, and he's created a culture where that's, that's the kind of behavior that he expects from his employees. And he's made his employees partners in his stores. So wow. it's, it's just, you know, it can start with a simple thing like changing a light bulb, <clears throat> but it's not the changing of the light bulb. 
it's the it's the association of the feeling for people and then putting that into action so it's observable observable and behavioral because yeah. that is what has an effect on other people yeah there's a couple of things you know that I think it was Napoleon, or uh, this was uh, Earl Nightingale. He talked about, you know, people say the grass is greener on the other side. You know, if I had another job or had another opportunity, I could be more successful. And it has nothing to do with the grass being greener. It's how you tend to your grass and how you care for it and how you take advantage of the opportunity that's in front of you. And you were mentioned that it probably never crossed this guy's mind when he was caring for these customers, going the extra mile, that he would eventually own eight franchise locations. But he just did it because he loved his customers and he didn't, you know, that's just who he was as a person. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He did not um, have this mindset that said, if I change this light bulb, one day I will own my own chain of Marco's stores. (laughs) It never crossed his mind. It came from from a very sincere, authentic, natural place. But now, in looking back, he can see what he did. And now it becomes teachable, right? Now it becomes replicatable. And that's the key. It's to do this with conscious intent in your business is going to change everything for your business, for the better. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, and, And what that requires is for us to ask ourselves in every, in every, aspect of our business internal and external internal and customer facing are we acting conducting our business in such a way that's going to engender that feeling of love for this business in the people that it's affecting so my employees and my um and my customers so if i can get conscious and intentional about about that then it's not a happy accident it's it's part of our strategy yeah i mean a lot of these stories remind me of uh I think it was from the book Think and Grow Rich with Napoleon Hill, but he talks about how those individuals, those employees that do far more than they're asked to do, that go the extra mile and do more than their job description technically pays them for, eventually they'll get to a stage in their life where they're getting paid for more than they're actually doing. <laughs> and, but you got to be willing in those beginning stages to go the extra mile and do the things that are outside your necessary job description because you do care for your employees, you do care for your customers, uh, and you are authentically emotionally involved into wholeheartedly, and that's what I love about what you say, a wholehearted commitment to what you do for a living, and just take pride in what you do, you know, regardless of what it is. You know, if you work at a restaurant, (laughs) if you deliver pizzas, if you work at a bank, just, you know, take pride in what you do go the extra mile to care for your customers. And I think that's something that's really dying these days, frankly, is that whole customer service side of things. I mean, I go out to restaurants sometimes and the way you're treated, it's it's just awful, right? And, you know, it goes both ways, but overall we could all use that that sense of love and care and affection for one another a little bit more uh, these days, so. Well, you know, I think think it's very similar in in a lot of ways to, to, you know our personal relationships, yeah. Uh, our our friend, our friendships, and our marriages, and all that. Um, you know, if you have, uh, if if you concentrate on doing the things that keep the love alive in, let's say, a marriage, for example, um, you're not you're not referring to the the job description, right? Yeah. 
It's like, um, I don't, I don't remember, uh, signing a, 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 you know, an employee, you know, signing a marriage manual that said, I have to take the trash out. It, it doesn't, it's not show me, you want me to take the trash out? Show me, show me mm -hmm. in the manual where it says that I am obligated to do that. That's, that is how you kill a, a marriage. It's how you kill, you know, it's how you kill any relationship, frankly, um, by just trying to do to the letter of whatever that relationship is. And the same is true in business. Um, you hired me to do a job. Does that mean that I should do the bare minimum to stay within that just to get enough money to, to, you know, to go home and pay my bills? Uh, perhaps if that's, if that's all you want out of your life, I can't, you know, that that's, that's your choice. Yeah. But if you love the people that you're working with, if you love your team, you don't want to let them down. You, yeah. So you, you're, you, you're going to be more creative. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be more helpful uh, just because it's the right thing to do. And it, it is possible to build cultures that do that intentionally. You know, my, uh, my colleagues at the Extreme Leadership Institute, when you look collectively at the, the work uh, that we've done, we've helped now almost, I think it's 28 companies uh, make it onto best place to work lists. Nice. Uh, by doing this sort of thing with conscious intent, and some of these projects, you know, go on for years, uh, because you know, changing a culture isn't just about dipping somebody in training or slapping a book on everybody's, right. you know, on everybody's cubicle and saying, "Read that; <laughs> it'll change yeah. everything." It takes practice every day. Yeah, a lot of this stuff is very important. One of the things that I preach, um, I do sales management mastermind groups. I got a group of twenty sales leaders that. We meet twice a month and just brainstorm and talk about strategies to culture, leadership, all this stuff is a, a very big focal point. But one of the things I make very clear is, you know, we all know that a salesperson that doesn't believe in what he's, what he's doing and believe in what he's selling is pretty much useless. And some people say, well, if your salesperson doesn't believe in what they're doing, you should fire them. Well, my thing is, who's really responsible for that belief level being in the dumps, <laughs> right? So management and leadership and ownership, to, to kind of to your points here, really needs to own up and take responsibility for training and instilling that belief into their organization and the company they now represent. Otherwise, you are going to have piss poor performance out of your salespeople if they hate where they work or they just wake up every morning dreading the, the day in the life of the company they represent. Absolutely true. And let's also acknowledge that, you know, there is such a thing as tough love. Yeah. And and this is about raising the standards, not lowering them. Yeah. So in other words, if if I'm creating a sales team where love is the standard, right? And we really love this company, our tolerance for subpar performance or subpar attitude goes down, tends to drop. Right. Yeah, uh, because we don't we we love this place. What why? So why would I want somebody on my team? I'm talking as a salesperson now. Why would right. I want somebody on my team who just doesn't give a shit? Correct. I, I I wouldn't want that because I love this place too much, and and I love what we're trying to do here together. I love this team. So the standard goes up, the bar yeah. goes up, not down. This is this is one of the classic mistakes I think that people make when they first start considering this love thing because it sounds so soft and fluffy it's like well it really we're just trying to keep people happy all the time well not necessarily so so sometimes if I, even with my best efforts and 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 um giving the, the proper training and motivation and support there are going to be people who are ill-suited for this job yeah. and firing them 
is also an act of love. I'm, I'm, uh, let's just say, liberating you to be successful somewhere else <laughs> that's, that's better suited for you and for us. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, you know, one thing that's interesting to me, so as I'm networking with business owners and sales leaders, you know, we, we uh, are firm believers in having a very detailed policy and procedures document that clearly outlines the expectations for proper lead handling etiquette, that clearly outlines the sales reps benchmarks of performance that's required of them to maintain employment. And it's crazy how many companies that I network with that don't have any benchmark or any policy procedures document at all to hold their salespeople accountable for performance. And kind of to your point there that instilling that that culture of love has nothing to do with being soft or being complacent. Obviously, like you said, if everyone loves their business, then they're they're eager and willing to pick up their game and be at that all-star level and really work hard, kind of pour their whole heart and soul into the position, into the role. But, you know, in terms of benchmarking your salespeople and holding them accountable to a high standard performance, I'm sure you'd agree. I mean, that that is incredibly important to instill that culture, that winning culture. So I'll give you an example. Um, and not so much on the culture side, but on, on the individual sales performance side. Right. Uh, so this is this example is from uh, a large uh, organization um, who, who you would have heard of. I'm going to I'm going to take the names out of it. Okay. Um, but they do uh, industrial industrial sales. So they're um, their clients are, you know, the major retailers, the, you know, the targets, et cetera, of the world. So on this particular team, um, the top salesperson, so she was already, this is the key. She was already the top salesperson. Um, her name was, uh, Vicky, uh, read, I believe read the radical leap, my first book. Yeah. Where we talked about love, energy, audacity, and proof. That's what LEAP stands for. Love being the foundation of it. Yeah. It's either that or she heard me speak somewhere. I can't remember exactly. But it got her thinking about her customers. And her, the question she asked herself was, do my customers love me? And the answer was, her honest answer was, uh, no. They, they like me. I mean, they do a lot of business with me. But I can't say that they love me. So she made it her personal mission to create a relationship with her customers who she already knew pretty well where they would love her and and she had this she started with and by the way i heard this from her directly i first heard about her from her boss and then i i called vicky directly and i and i said because she had it she had earned a nickname among her sales colleagues they called her the original love doctor <laughs> because everybody knew what she was what she was up to right right so so i called her up on the phone i said is this the original love doctor and uh, <laughs> kind of freaked her out a little bit but anyway um once she understood who i was and why i was calling she yeah. she explained this to me she said i had to understand or she said i did understand from the beginning that this wasn't it couldn't be manipulative it couldn't be well how do i get my customers to love me she said i had to I had to make sure that I had that feeling myself first. Right. Do I do I love them and am, am I acting towards them like I love them? So she just asked herself, what do I do with my friends and family to show them that I love them? And she just started doing the same thing. So she started learning about their families. 
uh, she started, uh, you know, getting more um, curious about what's going on in their lives and their challenges and, and just did the kind of things that you do with good friends, for example. Mm -hmm. And they did hug each other when they saw each other at trade shows and whatnot. And she did, she was on this campaign for a number of years. And remember, she's a salesperson. She's the top producing salesperson. Yeah. So she's looking at the bottom line as well. It was very, so this is the dance, right? It was very sincere coming from an authentic place, but she's a salesperson and she wants to make more sales. And she did. Yeah, she did. So she increased her sales volume uh, to the tune of $300 million. Jeez. Now yeah. I, I know they do big contracts, you know, but $300 million is $300 million, no matter how you slice it. Uh, so that's why she earned the name, the original love doctor. No, that's cool. Um, the way you define effective leaders is actually similar to the way we define a salesperson here at Grass University. So our definition of a salesperson is an agent of influence who can influence other people in the direction in which they want them to go. And I know you talk a lot about effectively influencing people, right? And obviously, if you can do it from the basis of love and influencing that throughout your organization, um, that's very, very important. But that's not something that salespeople a lot of times think of. They're like, I'm going to get my commission and then I'm never going to talk to this person again. <laughs> um, there was this sales uh, person that I was working with through one of our clients here at Grass University. And uh, she was also a top performer in her organization out of about 40 salespeople. And the first thing she would do is she would show up to the house with a big smile on her face and a gift bag for the client, for the prospect. And they're like, oh, what's this for? Oh, it's just a, you know, a couple little things in there. I got my business card, a little bit of information on our company, and I got a couple of treats in there for you, no big deal. So homemade cookies, whatever. So right away, she greeted him with a smile and gave him a gift. And when she got into the house, she said, you know, I always use the form method of communication. I want to learn about their family, their occupation, their recreation, their motivation, and be genuine about it. Like, I'm, um, I seriously want to get to know everything about these people, not just there to make a commission, but actually get to know them on a personal level. And then after she earns their business, or even if she doesn't earn their business, she puts a little thank you card in the mailbox. It's all handwritten, signed by her. Uh, it's just going the extra mile and, of course, following up with that that client after they do business, treat them like royalty, showing up the day of the installation, getting that add-on referral business, whatever it is. But it's just doing those little extra things to make them feel special. Uh, that, that, again, it's kind of a dying art. But it's something if, if salespeople even took a little bit of that and implemented into their strategy, I mean, not that it's going to be $300 million for everyone, but it's, it's definitely a great lesson to be learned. Yeah, it's really simple stuff. And, you know, the thing is, I didn't make any of this up. Yeah, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't invent love. Yeah. I didn't invent love as a business practice. I'm making an observation and I'm shining the spotlight on it in a way that will amplify it. So for example, we all know that we're supposed to write, supposed to quote unquote, write nice handwritten notes to people and, and that kind, you know, gestures of kindness go a long way in the sales process. We all know that. You know, we've been told that for, for, for generations. The difference here is to understand that all of that becomes more, more natural and more effective when it's coming from a real place of love. Yeah. And to allow ourselves to recognize that that's, that that's the reality of it. 
And it will show up in very significant ways in, in the way that we act and in the way that we do our business uh, out there in the world at large. But, but to allow ourselves to say, yeah, I, I think it's great that I love my customers. I think it's great that I love coming to work here every day. Yeah. We've got to give ourselves permission, at least for that at first, and then that'll open up a lot of possibilities for us. Yeah, one of my top performing salespeople, uh, before he came to actually be a salesperson, he was active in the construction world, actually roofing houses and doing siding, more of the physical labor side. So he's very knowledgeable about stuff, but he's just a hard worker in general. And when he became sales and obviously saw the income potential and stuff, uh, he got super excited, enthusiastic. But one thing that he always made it a goal was to get his customers to absolutely love him, you know, build that connection, that personal rapport. And he's always going the extra mile and reminding me exactly of that pizza delivery guy, that story. So this salesperson, if they, he went to the customer's house and their grass was up to their knees, he would cut their grass for them while he was there. He'd push mow their lawn or whatever it was. If they were on a farm and he would show up to the customer's house and they're out in the barn milking the cows, he'd roll up his sleeves and help them milk the cows, right? <laughs> so if they were on the back deck staining the deck when he arrived, he'd roll up his sleeves and help them stain the deck. He's a very handy guy. But he's going that extra mile. And for him to build a relationship with these, these customers, it was easy because he's always willing to do that little extra something to show that he cared about them, uh, stuff that was not his job description at all. Yeah, we could go on for weeks with examples like that. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, unfortunately, we love hearing these stories because they sound so extraordinary. Right. And I guess this is really about getting to the point where that's not extraordinary. That's what you do. That's that that should be the norm, not the not the exception. So that's that's my aspiration is to really change change the 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 expectation and the experience of what it means to to go to work what it means to be in business and to make that kind of thing the norm now i wanted to get your opinion on something um so i'm talking to these sales managers and sales leaders a lot and i kind of describe sales management or just being a sales leader in general it's kind of like a blend of parenting and coaching Whereas obviously, like a parent, it's pretty much a 24-7 proposition. You got to be available for your team any hours of the day. Obviously, you want to lead by example. You want to be someone they look up to, to inspire them, teach them right from wrong, and understand that they're always watching you and learning from you, like you mentioned before. Uh, but also like a coach, I mean, you have to have that true love of the game and that, that will to win, obviously that desire for victory to make your team better and better and better. And of course, know how to properly train your team to condition them, to get them to believe in themselves and what they do. So I like to kind of use those examples. Obviously, it's kind of like parenting and coaching mixed together or just being a really good coach essentially is what it boils down to because that's what really good coaches do. But I wanted to get your opinion on that, just kind of that whole philosophy and mindset because it kind of ties back to your you know, love. Obviously, if you're a good parent, you're going to love your kids and you're going to do everything to, to help them succeed. Yeah, I think there's there are a lot of parallels. Um, and I think, you know, good, really good parents uh, play the role of coach occasionally and really good coaches play the role of parent like behavior occasionally. Yeah. Um, the same is true for leaders. We there are different roles that we play. It's not it's, it's not a, you know, simple uh, formulaic sort of a thing. So it is kind of a mixture of 
coach and and friend and boss and parent and it's it's all those things together um i think we run the risk of overanalyzing it right because every every one of those examples breaks down somewhere yeah so for example um i'm a parent i i've raised i've raised six kids mm -hmm. um in fact i raised uh my my dubious achievement as a parent is that i raised uh teenagers for 25 straight years <laughs> so i've had i've been around the block i'm yeah. an empty nester now have been for quite some time actually but um i have never ever even considered firing any of my kids no <laughs> yeah. now i know there are some parents who have done that uh yeah. but that's very very rare Mm -hmm. uh, for most of us, we get frustrated when when our kids don't, you know, they're they they're not living up to their commitments, or they're not doing their schoolwork, or they're not. But we don't say do that or you're fired. Yeah, I think that was on was that on Baby Boss when he's considered, you know, thinking about getting fired from his family. Can you get fired from your own family? <laughs> but in business, in business, sometimes you got to fire people. Yes. Right. So that's like we were talking about earlier. I can love you and fire you because this is the wrong place for you. Right. Um, but so that's my point is that, you know, all those analogies break down somewhere. Right. So let's just uh, let's just recognize that the, this is a it's a complex thing. There's a lot of different nuances to the relationship and it's going to be and it's going to vary from from person to person as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, one thing that uh, you know, I was talking with one of my managers about because again, a lot of times, you know, if it is that top salesperson that was thrown into a leadership role or whatever it is, but a lot of a lot of leaders that are out there, unfortunately, do have more of that selfish mindset. And obviously, there's certain aspects to being selfish that aren't necessarily bad because you know sometimes you do want things for yourself, you do want to take care of yourself or be successful or make money. So kind of the way I always viewed myself as a, a sales leader or a manager is I was selfishly selfless. So, you know, it's not like I didn't want to make more money or have more success for myself, because if you're just exclusively selfless, you don't care about money, really. It's all about helping others. But being selfishly selfless, you understand that by building people, by giving them the tools to be successful, kind of pouring your heart and soul into the role to lift them up, like you said, be their cheerleader, not being afraid to make them better than you are than you are or once were. Because I understand some leaders, their ego gets in the way and they, yeah. they want their salespeople just to be just a little beneath them, right? But having that mentality, because um, ultimately you know that if I can build my team, instill that love in my team, make them loyal and you know, believe in what they do, ultimately that's going to lead to more success for me and my organization, a better customer experience. It trickles everywhere. Uh, I say amen to all of that. Yeah. And there's, there's an underlying, there's an underlying element to this that I just want to point out. Yeah. So, so first of all, um, we're not talking about, uh, about altruism here. We're, we're not talking about helping other people to our detriment. Right. Um, we're talking about a both and scenario. Mm -hmm. So what I think we have done in our culture, in our society over, and I think this is pretty international too, by the way, mm -hmm. is we've made a distinction in our minds that says either or, 
I either have to be focused on making money for myself right. or helping other people. Mm -hmm. I either have to be uh, career oriented or or focused on on joy and satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And the, the fact is that there is no good reason to separate all of those things. So in, in my second book, which is called The Radical Edge, and by the way, that story revolves around a great salesperson who was put into a leadership role and, and blows up in a bad way, like you were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, but but the, the, the premise behind The Radical Edge is that our objective should be to prosper in our business, make money, experience personal joy and meaning, in our lives and have a positive impact to change the world in some way for the better. Yeah. All, all at the same time, mm -hmm. we don't have to sacrifice one for the other. You don't have to be a jerk to make money. You don't have to sacrifice money for joy and you don't have to be a martyr to change the world. This is just stuff that we made up. Yeah. So, so even this discussion that says selflessly, self, selflessly selfish and so, selfishly selfless. Self, yes. Uh, <laughs> say it again. Selfishly selfless. Selfishly selfless. We're 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 addressing this concern that people have that says it's got to be either or, and you're saying no, it doesn't. It's it's yeah. both. But right. just the fact that we have to address it shows shows the the challenge that we have as a society around these ideas. And yes, we become successful by investing in other people's success and we shouldn't feel guilty about that we yeah. should understand it and and listen i i i love to make money but i don't i don't ever do anything simply because it's gonna make me money right um unless i'm talking about an invest something in an investment portfolio but even even there i'm not going to invest in a company unless i believe in the company right but it's that's a little different kind of a nuance. But this is this all leads us to the same to the same place. I want to be really clear about this. I'm a business guy. I'm a business guy. I wouldn't be teaching this stuff, writing about this stuff, coaching, speaking about this stuff, doing masterminds about this stuff, helping companies to apply this stuff, unless it was going to help in their bottom line business. Yeah. Otherwise, I'd be in a completely different field, I suppose. Yeah, you know, some of the examples I give, and it's hard for some sales managers to wrap their heads around this because, again, what I see is usually, usually polar opposite. But what I would do occasionally after I trained a new salesperson, occasionally you can do it in this red carpet scenario in a classroom, but they need to see it executed in a home with a real client sometimes for it to really make sense to them, right? So I'd have them ride along with me and observe me in the house with a real client following the process that I trained him to follow. And occasionally what I would do for a new salesperson. Now, a lot of these people, you know, like they say, they didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. They didn't have two pennies to rub together. They're coming into this new sales job, sometimes living out of their cars in some cases. So I would follow the process. They would observe me. I would close the sale and I, I would actually give it to them. So I'd look at them and be like, you know, man, I know how hard it is to get your pipeline built. And that's the most important thing for you right now. You need this positive momentum to get started. So what I'm going to do is give you this sale and I want you to remember this because again, moving forward, the rest is on you, but now you got to start to your career. Congratulations. Right? So that little gesture and everyone's like, you just gave him the sale. You just gave him the commission. I'm like, yeah, 
You know how much respect I just gained from that salesperson? How much loyalty I now have? You know how much harder he worked for me and didn't want to let me down as his leader now? And how much money that made myself and the company over time? That one little sale that he'll never, ever forget? It's those little things that sometimes leaders don't take a second to think about. What they want to do is take it from themselves. And I see even the opposite occur where a manager is observing a salesperson and the salesperson demos it for two and a half, three hours and the manager just jumps in and helps them close it and they take the commission. Like how the hell are you going to motivate your team and be an effective leader, get them fired up, stealing their money? Like (laughs) it's so backwards. Yeah. They're never going to ask you for help again. That's for sure. Right. Uh, yeah, it's it's it is it's simple stuff, and it's it it's so powerful in its in its effect and in its result. You know, a lot of that that mentality or that that behavior comes from a zero sum mentality that says that in order for me to be successful, you have to be less successful than I am. Yeah. That for every every you know, this, it's the the balance sheet mentality that says. If, if, if I get something in the win column, it's got to come, it's got to be in somebody's lose column. That's zero sum. Um, and it's just not that way. It's not that way. Uh, the, the, the end result of that sort of relationship brings greater success and prosperity to everybody. Now, I'm just curious what your thoughts are on this. Um, you know, obviously recognition is something that all human beings desire. You know, that recognition a lot of times is more important than the paycheck. And one thing I see missing from a lot of sales organizations is, first of all, they don't have a lot of competitions going on, if at all. Uh, They don't really recognize their salespeople for the work that they put in. A lot of it is just negative pressure. Essentially, if if you don't hit XYZ benchmark, you're fired. And they're kind of, you know, demanding, again, going back to that mentality. But why do you think it's important that sales leaders, owners – make a deliberate effort to recognize their salespeople. It could be as simple as you have a company cookout where you bring the spouses and you recognize them for their hard work for the previous month. Or maybe you have a a certain goal that they hit where you do a company golf outing and you recognize them. Or at a sales meeting, right? You recognize them for performance. I see that missing. You think that'd be common sense. But why do you think that's so important to obviously have these incentives, but also recognizing people? Well, let me put it this way. Um, like I said, I've been at this work now for a few decades. Yeah. I can't tell you how many companies I've worked with and how many leaders I've I've worked with personally. It's I, I have I have no tally of that. It's lots and lots. <laughs> and not once in these 30 years in any of these companies have I ever heard anybody say, I left that company because they just appreciated me too much. (laughs) (laughs) Never, never heard anybody say that. I love it. Right. They just appreciated the hell out of me. I couldn't stand (laughs) it. And all the appreciation gets. I just like, I'm up to here with that. (laughs) I want to go somewhere where people will treat me like dirt. How refreshing that will be. (laughs) I've never heard that. Yeah. Um, but you know the flip side is i man you know we're gonna horror story after horror story of like the the one that you just said about you know getting my commission taken from me or or people you know i never hear from my boss unless i don't make my quota or you know it just it just goes on and on and on and on and the challenge of trying to stay in in a team because 
you know, the money was good, but they were, they treated me terribly and I didn't want to leave because the money, you know, it's just, what a waste. Um, Recognizing people takes, I mean, true, honest recognition and appreciation can take a little bit of creativity. And, and sometimes the more creative you are, the more memorable it is, but it's the simple stuff that makes a difference too. Just like we've been talking about here, a simple handwritten note at the end of the week saying, Hey, Dominic, just want to let you know, I appreciate the hard work you did this week. I know it was a tough week for you. Didn't mm-hmm. hit the numbers that you were shooting for, but you know, you, you talked to a lot of people, you made a lot of presentations, you kept your attitude up and just want to say, thank you. You are never going to, you are never going to throw that note away. You're yeah. going to, you're going to carry that sucker with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and on, when you're having a bad day, you're going to pull that out of your wallet and read that note and it's going to get you through the day. Now, how long did it take me to write that note? A couple of minutes. Right. But what it says is I'm paying attention. I appreciate you. And here's tangible evidence. How much did it cost me? Zero. Right. So it's just it's just a matter of developing the habit and just allowing ourselves to do it. And how many times do we have to hear this from how many people? This yeah. conversation has happened, a, 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 I think this is a, an actual number, gajillion times. <laughs> gajillion times. A gajillion times. Maybe a kajillion. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, I, you know, it's just like anything. You know, we, we can't hear this stuff enough, apparently. And it's just a good refresher, you know, even in terms of the recognition. If your salespeople, you know, they just had a good day or even a tough day where, you know, it was a struggle. Just that little phone call, recognizing them, say, hey, you know, I appreciate your hard work today or your great job on your on your appointments. You know, I see you going the extra mile and it really means a lot. I'm really proud of you. That little, you had a, that a boy pat in the back. I mean, you would not believe what a difference that makes because I see a lot of owners, just like a lot of employees, just kind of sit behind their phones or sit behind their computer, kind of, you know, whatever they send emails out or text messages or a message out in GroupMe but actually being personal with it and showing your appreciation and recognition. But like you said, I mean, you can't be afraid to enforce benchmarks and policy as well. And that's all part of that love culture that you were talking about, that love philosophy, um, holding people to those standards. Sure. So, so think of it, let's, let's put it all together like this. If, if, um, if I am free with my, with my uh, accolades and my appreciation for you, Another, I'm free with it. In other words, I'm, uh, I, I'm expressing that a lot to you. And then I need to have the other conversation with you. Correct. Do you think you're going to be more or less receptive when I come <laughs> to you with the constructive feedback? A lot more receptive. And you know when you hit the nail on the head when you can bring that person in. And let's say it's a, it's a termination meeting, right? So you're sitting them down and you're letting them know that it's just not a good fit. You know, we appreciate all your effort. And they leave that appointment standing up, shaking your hand and saying, thank you for the opportunity. This has been one of the best jobs I've ever had, blah, 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 right? And it's they leave on good terms and it is what it is. No hard feelings. And like you said, out of that love, you're opening up the opportunity where they can open up, you know, be more successful elsewhere. So you're, you're certainly increasing the odds right. that that's the kind of departure you're going to have not a guarantee. Sometimes people just start are angry or whatever. But but if we have a tendency to adjust all of our behavior to that lowest common denominator, that's a terrible mistake. Excellent. Well, like you said, I'm sure we could talk for hours and you know, we're very, very grateful for all the golden nuggets and the free advice that you provided on this podcast. 
And just let, let me ask you, Steve, if anybody wants to reach out to you or get more information or maybe even uh, hire you for a virtual training, I guess, what's the best way to contact you and set, set up that, that consultation? Yeah, so the um, kind of the epicenter of my online universe is stevefarber.com. Uh, you'll also find extremeleadership.com. Uh, they're very closely related, uh, but they they all end up in in my in my backyard, uh, and, and of course you know on social media if if you can remember my name you can find me anywhere on you know LinkedIn Facebook Instagram the usual haunts, so I'm I'm very easy to find. And worst comes to worst, you can always, always Google my name and and you'll find it there. Um, but uh, yes, I'd love to love to have a conversation and uh, see if there's any way that uh, that we can. Uh, either I or I and my team can can help you out. Last thing I just wanted to mention to you, because, you know, I've been not stalking you, but obviously trying to inform myself on Steve Farber and watching a lot of your video content. And not just the fact that you're an amazing keynote speaker, but then you go over the top. And this because I do seminars and I do speaking as well. I'm nowhere to your level yet. But then you then you finish your, your keynote speeches. You're up there with a guitar and you're singing. But I love that message that you that you talk about. And this is something that I kind of wanted to end the podcast with is you, you talk about finding your true passion or bringing that passion back. So if you don't mind, just kind of the, the last talking point here to share with the audience, what do you mean about bringing that passion back? Maybe something that you had to sacrifice early in your career that you feel is important to bring back into your life. Yeah, that's great. So we're kind of coming full circle back to the beginning of our conversation when I when I told you that I started out wanting to be a musician yeah. and I and I gave it up. Uh, because I pursued a different path, which was a, a family, a family guy, and also a path that I really loved. But I gave up that passion for music. I gave it up as a as a professional pursuit, but it was so painful to give that up that I actually ended up putting the guitar away like a gunslinger hanging up his guns. I put the guitar away for for years because it was it was too painful. But little by little, I brought it back, and over over the course of my life, I've allowed myself to really fully reignite that passion for music. And, and I started to integrate it into my professional world by playing music on stage and using it in events and that sort of a thing. But the point is this, most of us have had something that we've given up for whatever reason. We used to do it, we loved doing it, and maybe we gave it up because maybe I didn't think I was good enough. I couldn't make it, you know, make any money at it, like why I gave up music. Uh, maybe it started to feel frivolous because I had too many other things to do. Yeah, there's lots of excuses. So, and that could have been any number of things. It could have been being involved in a sport, it could have been writing, it could have been music. It, I, I hear from a lot of, you know, uh, old guitar players who've who've picked up their guitar again uh, after having this discussion with me. Uh, or it could have been gardening. I mean, who knows what it could have been? Yeah. <laughs> so my, my suggestion is, if you have something like that in your life that you gave up, can you bring it back? And not just for the obvious reasons, not just to bring it back for yourself, because it'll give you more joy, but because you owe it to the people that you're leading to bring that back for yourself because that is your energy that is your raw material and the more energy you have and the more joy you have the more you have to give 
to the people that you're leading. Yeah, and like you said, they're always watching you. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, amazing episode of the Yes, I Am a Closer podcast. I want to obviously say a sincere thank you to Steve Farber for all of your time. And obviously, those of you watching, uh, make sure you get your copy of The Love is Just Damn Good Business. It's a damn good book to read. And this is just the tip of the iceberg as to what Steve Farber trains on. And obviously, make sure you take advantage of his services uh, within your own organization as well. So I appreciate your time here, Steve. Uh, thank you so much. And as always, yeah, and as always here at Grass University, yes, you are a closer. <laughs>